now, so tonight, <clears throat> so Brenton, if you were with us, Brenton and Josh filled in the last three weeks, and Brenton was with us the last couple, and after Brenton was doing his deal in Numbers 32, um, I just got to thinking, I was like, man, I, I thought that there was a cool thing that I pulled out of my quiet time that was on that same topic, uh, and so I went back and looked at that and just felt like uh, the Lord was leading me to pick up basically right where, kind of right where Brenton left off. Uh, we'll just make this a little three-week deal talking about uh, the children of Israel. So we are not going to be in Ephesians yet. Uh, we're still putting that on hold, um, but we'll, we'll dive back into that soon. Um, but for now, we're going to continue uh, off the heels of what Brenton was talking about. So we're going to be in Joshua 22 tonight. Um, and so we've been talking about over the last two weeks, the children of Israel and the children of Israel uh, crossing the Jordan River or, or not crossing the Jordan River. Um, and so we saw that, that the, over the last two weeks that they had, they finally got to the point where they were needing to enter the promised land. Um, but all of them, they weren't unified in that. All of them didn't want to go. Uh, we saw that the eastern tribes, the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, wanted to stay on, on the east side of the Jordan. And so, uh, of course, that, that's contrary to the Lord's original plan for them. Um, and, you know, he had, he had a plan, an ultimate end goal for them, just like he does for us. He has a plan for our lives. Um, and, and it was to bring them into that promised land. In Deuteronomy 6.23 It says, and he brought us out from thence, meaning out from the land of Egypt, that he might bring us in to the land which he swore unto our fathers. And so the Lord brought them out of Egypt so that they could go into the promised land. And that was God's plan for them. Uh, We saw that he had exceedingly good promises for them there, including protection and unity. Uh, And he had a very specific place for them to go and a very specific way to get there. We saw that they traveled westward. And just depicting uh, God, God's plan for our lives. And we saw their choice then a couple weeks ago where a few tribes decided to settle for less than God's best for them. They, they wanted to settle on the east side of Jordan. And unfortunately, you know, in our lives we do things like that too where we try to settle for less than God's best, right? And so we've seen that the children of Israel in the things that, that they did in their lives, the things that are written for us, we saw that they pictured the individual believer for us. And so their walk with Christ is, is a picture of ours, and there's a lot of parallels. You know, from salvation out of Egypt, picturing salvation out of the world, you know, through the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, uh, even through baptism, if you will, through the Red Sea, uh, even going to Mount Sinai where they got the word and they learned to grow in, in God's word after that, and then they marched into the wilderness where they started putting those principles and those things into action, into play. But unfortunately, uh, most of the people die there because they, they get through the wilderness and they, the children of Israel came to the Jordan the first time and they weren't willing to cross. And so, you know, they turned back and most of those people, well, all of them, they're over 20 years old, they died. And unfortunately, you know, that's kind of true of a lot of Christians today. A lot of Christians today never make it into the promised land. And the promised land, it's not, it's not heaven, but spiritual maturity. Uh, it's, it's God's best for them. Um, because most people aren't willing to cross the Jordan River in their lives. They're not willing to be fully consecrated unto the Lord. And they're not willing to, be, to, to see God's ministry for their lives. And they can't grow to full maturity as a result. Because they, they won't consecrate themselves unto the Lord is what 
officially crossing the Jordan River is full consecration unto the Lord. There's no turning back at that point. And so we talked about over the last couple of weeks things that they missed out, out on as a result, right? Um, think they got a lot of consequences of things that, that God hadn't designed for them. And we're going to look more into that tonight. And we're going to look into specifically a lot of conflict that we see as a result of, of these choices. And so we actually, so we got like 20 verses to read. Uh, and we're going to do it. We came here uh, to study the Bible. We're going to read it. Um, it's going to be great. So we got, we're going from Joshua 22, verse 9, all the way to 29. So hang with me on this. Uh, it'll be good. So starting at verse 9, it says, And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel out of Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go into the country of Gilead to the land of their possession, where they were possessed according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So at this point in time, that they fulfilled, all the tribes went over, they fought all the enemies, and then like they, the deal they made with Moses, the eastern tribes are coming back. So that's where we just picked up. So they finished the deal, and they're going back, right? And then verse 10, And when they came unto the borders of Jordan, that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see to. And the children of Israel heard say, Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan in the borders of Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh to go up to war against them. And the children of Israel sent unto the children of Reuben and to the children of Gad and to the half-tribe of Manasseh into the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him ten princes of each chief house, a, a prince throughout all the tribes of Israel, and each one was in head of the house of their fathers among the thousands of Israel. And they came unto the children of Reuben and to the children of Gad and to the half-tribe of Manasseh unto the land of Gilead, and they spake with them, saying, Thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord, what trespass is this that ye have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord in that ye have builded you an altar that ye might rebel this day against the Lord? Is the iniquity of Peor too little for us from which we are not cleansed until this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord, but that ye must turn away this day from following the Lord? It will be, seeing ye rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be wroth with the whole congregation of Israel. Notwithstanding, if the land of your possession be unclean, then pass ye over unto the land of the possession of the Lord, wherein the Lord's tabernacle dwelleth, and take possession among us. But rebel not against the Lord, nor rebel against us, in building you an altar beside the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing, and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel? And that man perished not alone in his iniquity. Then the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said unto the heads of the thousands of Israel, The Lord, God of gods, the Lord, God of gods, he knoweth. In Israel he shall know, if it be in rebellion or if in transgression against the Lord. Save us not this day, that we have built us an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if to offer thereon burnt offering or meat offering, or if to offer peace offerings thereon. Let the Lord himself require it. And if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing, saying, in time to come, your children might speak unto our children, saying, What have ye to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you, ye children of Reuben and children of Gad. Ye have no part in the Lord. So shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. 
Therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between us and you and our generations after us that we might do the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings that your children may not say to our children in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore said we that it shall be when they should say to us or to our generations in time to come that we may say again, behold, the pattern of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, for it is a witness between us and you. God forbid that we should rebel against the Lord and turn this day from following the Lord to build an altar for burnt offerings, for meat offerings, or for sacrifices beside the altar of the Lord our God that is before his tabernacle. So, all right, we made it. Uh, So there's some serious conflict going on here. People were almost killed. Civil war almost broke out. And really, all of it was completely unnecessary. And there's things that we can parallel in our own Christian lives. Ultimately, you know, everyone being consecrated equally fixes this problem, but it's just not realistic. Uh, it's not the reality that we live in. And so when you mix and match different maturity levels and different levels of consecration to the Lord, there's going to be conflict. And you put a bunch of Christians together in one place, and there's going to be conflict because that's how people are. And so nonetheless, there are some things we can understand from this passage that can help us to avoid this unnecessary conflict because it didn't have to be that way. And there's a lot of, church, there's a lot of conflict that we experience amongst ourselves as Christians that, that's just completely unavoidable. And so we're going to talk about trying, or completely avoidable. We're going to try to talk about uh, avoiding that conflict tonight. And so let's go before the Lord, ask him to teach us, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, Uh, Lord, we come before you tonight, as always. Uh, We thank you for letting us be here. Uh, We thank you for your word and and the truth that we can pull from it. Um, I just pray that everything that is said tonight is true to your word. I I pray that you're glorified through um, our application of it to our lives. I pray that you are glorified through our praise and that just that you would uh, speak to each and every one of us tonight and you would get the glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so some principles, some keys to avoiding unnecessary conflict. Uh, and this will be specifically from the passage, but kind of just conflict in general as well. Um, and so the first one is to concede the distance and acknowledge the facts. To concede means like to accept, accept the distance, and you'll see what I mean in a minute, um, and acknowledge the facts. And so from verse 9, we saw that there was a physical separation between the eastern and the western tribes. If you look again in verse 9, and the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned, and notice they departed from the children of Israel out of Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, that was where the western tribes were, and they left to go unto the country of Gilead to the land of their possession, whereof they were possessed according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And so there was a physical separation between them, um, and the, you can see it in that verse, and I mean all throughout the passage. And the thing is that they created that distance when they chose not to cross the Jordan. Right? Th- that was just a consequence of their actions. Uh, and we know there are consequences for our actions and, and we reap what we sow. That's a biblical principle. Galatians 6, 7 through 9 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his, to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And they, they chose to sow to their flesh instead of choosing to follow God and the rest of Israel into the promised land, into his best for them, right? 
And they had some built-in hardships as a result of that decision. And, and this physical distance is one of them. And, and it, it separates them physically, but also they have a, a physical barrier between them too. It's the Jordan River. And we even saw like God meant that for protection, not for separation, right? And however, though, it's important to note that this isn't necessarily a matter of sin in and of itself. It's a matter of maturity and the life that God wants you to have and to be able to use for his glory, right? Moses, God, and the rest of the tribes all agreed to allowing the eastern tribes to do this. It was part of the agreement ahead of time. Um, It wasn't necessarily sin at this point, so it just wasn't God's design or intent originally. In Numbers 32, uh, we see this, Numbers 32, 20 to 22, and Moses said unto them, uh, if you will do this thing, so Moses is telling the eastern tribe, they made the deal. He's like, hey, if you do this, Eastern tribe, if you will go armed before the Lord to war and will go all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord until he hath driven out his enemies from before him and the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward ye shall return, which is where we picked up in the story, and be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. So the way that the, the tribes responded, so that it wasn't necessarily sin, but the way that they d- d- responded to this distance created conflict. Um, And they needed to acknowledge and accept that distance. And the consequences of this decision before it was made, which seems like they didn't really do, and really when you make a decision, whenever we all make decisions, we have to be willing to accept the consequences that come with those decisions, right? The the distance that comes with those decisions, if you will. Which is just a, that's just a general thing to understand about conflict. There's a distance between two people when you're in conflict. Uh, like, typically, intellectually, if you're in an argument or something, they have a stance and you have a stance, and there's, there's distance there. That's why you, you don't agree. Like, unmet expectations. When somebody has an expectation, it's not met, there's distance there, and you've got conflict, right? So there's, I mean, you could have conflict or a distance intellectually or socially or spiritually. And distance can create conflict. So you've got to know that. Even, like, like I mentioned, in intellectual arguments, Uh, you've got to understand all the facts and where the disagreement is. So just as this distance created conflict between the tribes, which we'll get to the specifics in the next few points, but understand the picture for us. Crossing the Jordan was a sign of maturity, representing complete consecration or complete separation of the Lord. While everyone should be in that boat, I mean, again, the reality is that, that not everyone will be. And maybe you're here tonight, maybe you're not in the boat. We need to acknowledge the distance that, that that creates between Christians. And once we at least acknowledge that, we can know where, where to work from, where to begin, and avoid unnecessary conflict. And look, in the church, not everyone is going to be mature, and that's okay, right? It's natural, because not everyone's been around for the same length of time. Um, so not everyone is going to be on the same level. Never, not everybody gets saved at the same time. Like the, both tribes, the eastern and the western of the tribes, they weren't expected to cross the Jordan before they got there, right? And so it's, it, it's just natural that we're going to have different maturity levels among Christians, but we're going to have to learn to deal with that. Now, the unfortunate part is when you're dealing with, with Christians that should be across and, and aren't. You know, but except for deciding to cross yourself, there's nothing you can do about that, you know, except be conscious of it and take it into account to avoid conflict. So a big part of avoiding the unnecessary, con- unnecessary conflict that can result from differing levels of consecration simply is recognizing the distance that's there. And that's a two-way street between both parties, right? 
In Amos 3.3, it says, God, can, can two walk together except they be agreed? I mean, on, on varying levels, no matter what it is, if you're in disagreement, you know, whether it's on doctrine or what you believe with the word of God, you know, to a certain level, you won't be able to partner or if you don't believe the same things or whether it's at work or whatever you're doing, you know, if you don't agree on, on where you're going, you know, you can't walk together in that place. And so this is true of any form of, of disagreement or conflict and, and to varying degrees from spiritual differences uh, resulting to saved and of the, from the saved and unsaved. That's probably one of the most notable, of course. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 10. He says in Matthew 10, 34 and 36, he says, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I am come not to send peace but a sword. For I am come to set man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the or the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. And the reason is, man, if you get saved and, and you now follow the Lord, you're a new creature, and even a member of your, member of your physical family isn't that. There's a, there's a distance between you, unfortunately. And it's just the way that, that it is. Uh, we know from James 4, 4, you can't befriend the world, right? So there's only, you can't really walk with them. Uh, certainly not on a spiritual level. And so when it comes to your family, man, that can be a really hard thing. Um, it, it can, and it can be a source of conflict among you and your, and your loved ones. But you've got to concede the distance. Don't give up the distance in between you and stop following God because they're not willing to. You've got to accept that distance, even if it's with tears, and pray for them. Continue to encourage them to, to close that gap. I mean, don't ditch them. Of course, you want to reach them for the Lord, but you can't, you can't minimize the distance by going back to where they're at. And you've got to try to pull them along to, so that they fill the distance. In Psalm 126, 5, it says, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. You know, even if it's in this whole life, man, sow in tears uh, and, and, and work towards the end of that life, hoping man, that you'll be able to reap that in joy um, when your family gets saved. So don't ditch them, but don't join them either. And simply understanding that distance may help you avoid unnecessary conflict between you and them. So meaning like don't expect them to be somewhere they're not as well. There's distance there. Uh, we, we frequently treat unsaved people and put expectations on them like saved people all the time. And we're caught off guard. Well, you got to understand the distance that's there. Right? So friends, coworkers, uh, people in your lives. Maybe you're in a dating relationship. And don't let that stop you from walking with the Lord. Don't allow them to put distance between you and God. Rather, accept the distance that your following God is going to produce. So you also need to accept the distance and know the facts in the right way, though. If, if you're where you should be, or if you have any level of maturity that's in you, we need to acknowledge God in that. Right? God is the reason of any good or any progress or any spiritual growth in us, right? Romans 12.3 says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. We, we, we have to remain humble and understand that if you think of distance and progress of where you were and where you are, man, God's to credit for that, not yourself. The focus can't be on you. One of the biggest pitfalls that produces bad results is comparison among ourselves. Thinking that people are the standard in some way, whether, it's, whether you're that person or someone else is in your mind. And the children of Israel were at conflict because they started comparing themselves among themselves. 
through the, the, the distance that was between them. And we'll see that in the next couple of points. But look at what Paul talks about. Paul mentions this. He talks about this with the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. No, no person is the standard. If, if we're trying to measure ourselves by comparing to each other, things are going to go south. Listen, God is the standard. He's the measure. Ephesians 4.13, Till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's the measure, not us. So we need to be concerned with the distance between ourselves and Christ. When we get that messed up and start comparing ourselves, not only will we get the facts messed up because, oh, he's the truth, John 14, 6, right? But we will absolutely cause unnecessary conflict in the process. Sometimes the distance between us and others is necessary and or unavoidable, which is why we should be aware of it. But we must remember who the focus is and the measure is. We've got one measuring stick. It's the word of God. And when we start measuring with all kinds of different sticks, things are going to go south quickly. And that's exactly what we see in our passage tonight. And so that, that's the first point, is just recognizing that distance and all the facts involved in any conflict and, and the consequences of your decisions. But next, in point two, to avoid unnecessary conflict, we have to judge cautiously and act purposefully. And we, all right, we read the entire passage once, so we're not going to read verses 10 through 20, but I'll pick out a couple of them for you, um, starting in verse 10, Joshua twenty-two ten. <clears throat> and when they came unto the borders of Jordan that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see to. So we saw the altar that they built. And then in verse 12, and so when the western tribes and when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh to go up to war against them. Jump down to verse 16. Thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord, what trespass is this that you've committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord and that you have builded you an altar that ye might rebel this day against the Lord? Jump down to verse 19. Notwithstanding, if the land of your possession be unclean, then pass ye over into the land of, of the possession of the Lord wherein the Lord's tabernacle dwelleth, and take possession among us. But rebel not against the Lord, nor rebel against us in building you an altar beside the altar of the Lord our God. And so immediately, right out of the gate, the eastern tribes, they fulfill their mission, they help fight all the enemies, they get the, the green light to go back, and they haven't even made it back across the Jordan yet, and there's already conflict, like serious conflict. The eastern tribes build an altar and go back to their side, the Western tribes are immediately gathering to kill them is the next thing that happens. They just got back from fighting a bunch of battles together and they're immediately going to kill themselves and kill each other. They obviously weren't on the same page about that altar, about what just happened. Uh, we'll look at the Eastern tribes' reasoning for building that altar in the next point, but uh, for now it's very clear that the Western tribes were assuming the worst out of, out of what they did, right? Notice the Western tribes' assumptions, the immediate assumptions of sin and disobedience in the verses we just read. In verses 16 and 19, they, they talk about the, a trespass against the Lord, right? That they've turned away this day from following the Lord. Uh, they've rebelled against him. They, they rebelled against the Lord and they've rebelled against us, right? 
And in verse 19, notice this. There's some comparison going on too. The western tribes are assuming that the eastern tribes are rebelling because they think that their land is unclean. I mean, the eastern tribes clearly don't think that. They wouldn't have picked it. So, So who thinks that? I think the western tribes are putting words in their mouth. It appears the western tribes think that the eastern land is unclean. And the western tribes have it all together with God because they've got the land of God. They've got the Lord's tabernacle. And so the eastern tribes, of course, they must be in sin. Uh, Whatever they just did, it has to be sin. No doubt about it. And we didn't read it, but they they even go into some other examples in verses 17 and 20. We We won't look at that for time's sake, but there were some serious consequences in the past that they've gone through that they start comparing them to. And the thing is about the Western tribes is if they were right, this response would have been correct. The problem is they were wrong. So their actions were unnecessary. Their actions were wrong and they were purposeless. They went through all the trouble of gathering everyone up to go back to war, meeting at Shiloh, just to discover that all of their assumptions were wrong. Their actions were hasty and impulsive. They completely threw caution to the wind and everything that they had just partnered with the eastern tribes in, they threw it all away. And you know what? How often do we do this with each other? We're self-righteous. We make quick judgments based only on the surface level of things that we can immediately observe. We don't give our brothers and sisters the benefit of the doubt and we're quick to pronounce sin and judgment on them. Man, and and that happens on both levels of maturity. If the Western tribes would have given the benefit of the doubt and just went and asked first before they gathered everybody together for war, all of the accusations and the gathering of war, it all could have been avoided. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Man, the, the Western tribes almost made an incredible fool of themselves and all of Israel to all the nations round about. Have you ever made a judgment resulting in action too quickly? How'd that go? I, I've done it before. It's, it's never good, right? You always come out looking like a fool. Even, even simple things. You ever answer something before you've heard the whole matter? You know, there's some verses about that. You get the same result. doesn't work out so well. So, so don't be like that. Instead, James 1.19, this is how we should be. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. That's how, that's how we should be. Swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. When making a judgment, we need to be sure that we're right. So we need to judge cautiously so that we can make the correct actions. And especially when we're talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ. And there is a lot on the line, Right? 2 Corinthians 10, 7 says, Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trust to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. Man, you better be sure before you judge another man's servant that you're right, especially if your judgments are based on the outward appearance. The stakes are high. And we have to understand our limitations that we, even that we mentioned, saw in that verse just now. Our, our limitations to the outward appearance. When, when God's directing Samuel to pick David as king in 1 Samuel 16, 7, look what he tells him. He says, but, but the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. 
Notice, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So I think we can pull a principle from that and acknowledge that we can only see outwardly, but God can see inwardly. So you may not be able to see the whole story, even in this life, of what you're looking at and what you're trying to judge. And Jesus said in John 7, 24, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Now, Jesus said it. There's a way that we can judge righteous judgment, right? But it's not going to be according to appearance. The only thing, there is a way, but the only thing that will allow us to see man's heart is God's word because it's the only thing that can divide asunder soul and spirit to the heart, Hebrews 4.12. So only if you can make a judgment, a sure judgment out of God's word is it possible for you to see anyone's heart. And frequently that takes time. So proceed with caution. And if you're unsure, leave it unto the Lord. You know, you know th- so there's a balancing principle of concepts here. Paul was able to make a sure judgment of the fornicator in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 3. He wasn't even there, and he made a sure judgment about it. You can check it out later. However, one chapter before that, he also wrote this in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. He said, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts And then shall every man have praise of God. When everything is said and done, God will bring to light everything that's questionable. He'll bring to light man's hearts and what reality actually is. He will judge righteously and rightly. And sometimes we have to acknowledge too, try as we might, our judgment is skewed, even if we don't know it, because our own hearts are wicked and desperately evil, right? Jeremiah 17, 9. So we can't even rightly judge our own hearts and intentions sometimes outside of God's word. We need it for that even in ourselves. And as an example, frequently we judge others based on their actions, what we can see, right? And yet frequently we judge ourselves based on our intentions and we don't even recognize it. And it happens all the time. So, man, As we deal with brothers and sisters at different maturity levels, we need to always be patient and humble. We need to make judgments with caution, knowing there's a balancing principle there and that we have limitations. And if people approached each other like that, how much conflict could be avoided? Man, a lot. And that's not all. So that's that's mostly the standpoint of the Western tribes. But now if we look at the standpoint of the Eastern tribes in in the last point, we need, we need to see that to avoid unnecessary conflict, and we need to cast out fear. We need to act rationally. So, while the Western tribes had an impulsive response based on wrong assumptions, the Eastern tribes had an emotional response based on wrong assumptions. Look back again at verses 24 to 27 from our, from our passage. It says, uh, and, okay, so the, the Western tribes are explaining themselves now at this point. And so they're, they're telling, sorry, the eastern tribes, west, east, you know, direction. When like Britain, I'm bad with the direction. So the eastern tribes are explaining themselves in verse 24. And it says, and if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing, saying, for fear, fear of this thing, saying, in time to come, your children might speak unto our children, saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you, ye children of Reuben and children of Gad, Ye have no part in the Lord. So shall your children make our children cease from following the Lord. 
Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between us and you and our generations after us that we might do the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings that your children may not say to our children in time to come, ye have no part in the Lord. So we see some fear here. We see that the eastern tribes were afraid of some future thing that hadn't happened. So they did something that they didn't need to do because they were intimidated by the future children of the western tribes. You know, they were putting, they were casting actions on the western tribes that, that hadn't happened. The eastern tribes, they didn't trust the western tribes with the truth and the agreement that they had already made. They assumed that they'd be left out and judged as time went on and that they wouldn't be a part of Israel. And actually, they, they kind of blame God for some of this too, if you caught that. In verse 25, notice that they say that God made the Jordan a division between them. God put the Jordan there as a, as a division between them. No, it was God's intent that the Jordan protect them if they had all crossed, Right? They simply asked to stay on that side. This isn't God's fault. They were fearfully and irrationally casting blame and making wrong assumptions. The eastern tribes had no reason to be afraid and to build this altar. Everything, everything lined up exactly as everyone had said up to that point. The agreements that had been made, everyone fulfilled their obligations. We, saw, we already saw Numbers 32, 20 to 22, where mo- they... Joshua sent them back and said, hey, you're, you're guiltless. Or Moses said, if you do this, you'll be guiltless. He said, you know, that's the deal. They established it. And then Joshua affirmed that they did, they did, uh, they obeyed the agreement. They upheld it. Joshua 22, three to four. He said, ye have not left your brethren these many days unto this day, but ye have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now you can go home, basically. So, Joshua affirmed, hey, we're good. We're all good. But you know what? It goes on, though. The, the issue with the kids, that actually was also already taken care of at this point with the stones in Gilgal. Early in Joshua, as soon as they actually, actually get across the river, God directs them to do something. It says in Joshua 4.19, And the people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho, And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask your fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. So if the western tribes are going to teach their kids correctly, then those stones are going to be a testimony already that both the western and eastern tribes crossed the Jordan on dry land. Yeah, okay, the eastern tribes went back, and it kind of looks bad. Um, absolutely. That's, again, God didn't design it that way. That's a, that's, they chose that distance. But the time that it mattered, the only time anyone ever crossed the Jordan on dry land is when they were all in unison when they were all going over there to fight the battles together. And so, again, we talked about the consequences the last two weeks. 
And so, you know, the thing that God set up, it, it would have been so much better for them if they had just been fully consecrated to him and dove all in from the beginning and all inherited the land west of the Jordan together like he had designed. But they didn't. So suddenly they have fear and doubt when they otherwise wouldn't have. And suddenly it's God's fault and it's the Western tribe's fault. It's pretty irrational and judgmental in, in its own way, right? So what do they do? They got a solution. It's a good one. They, they solve it by doing something that appears to be evil. It's great. It, that's a great way to solve the problem. Not really. I mean, does any of this sound familiar? People do this kind of stuff all the time in this Christian life. Man, we're afraid of following the Lord. We do stuff like this all the time. And it just leads to conflict. And 1 Thessalonians 5.22 it says, abstain from all appearance of evil. You know, they should, they should have done that, right? And where their appearance of evil was, man, that was tied to their heart of unwillingness to be fully consecrated to God. So do you have any appearance of evil in your life? And does that lead to any unwillingness to consecrate yourself to the Lord? Or do you have fear in following God? Perhaps the fearful circumstances you find yourself in are a result of not following him. In 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul tells Timothy, he said, For God hath not given us a spirit of, peer, of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And when we follow God, when we're spending time with him, we have that power available to us to cast out that fear through his word and through walking in the spirit. We just have to spend time with him every day to renew that and allow it to transform us daily. Romans 12.2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the more we do that and the more we're changed by him, the more that we're surrendered to him, and the better that we're going to get at controlling our minds, casting out, of, casting out that fear and taking control of our thoughts. And we need to be able to do the, what, what Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, warfare are not carnal, but mighty, through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Notice, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We need to do our brothers and sisters justice and partner with them with sober minds. We need to cast out fear and act righteously and rationally to solve problems, not to create them. We need to fight battles together not to be, to, and not be the people that we're fighting against. And that's exactly what Satan wants, right? And by the way, Brenton mentioned this. He said, you know, the, and so by way of conclusion, Brenton mentioned over the last couple of weeks that the eastern tribes, they were the first tribes to go. They were the first tribes conquered by other nations because that's, what, that's Satan's goal. That's what he wants. Satan took advantage of that space and that distance and this conflict to make space and to drive it for them further apart. So, man, if Satan, what he wants, he wants to get a stronghold in your life. He wants, he wants to get a grip in this church to produce conflict through the space that we allow because we don't follow the Lord. 
In 2 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11, Paul says, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. That's a crazy principle, by the way. That's unity right there. Anyway, for if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we're not ignorant, ignorant of his devices. Satan uses conflict, man, to tear down the church and to tear down Christians. So we can't, we can't let him get that stronghold. I mean, we have to avoid any unnecessary conflict. Some, you can't avoid all of it. Some of it's necessary. You've got to stand your ground at times, uh, especially in matters of sin. But, but there's just so much unnecessary conflict that doesn't have to be there. And the eastern tribes and the western tribes, man, they were comparing themselves amongst each other. Uh, the eastern tribes, thought, you know, they, they had the idea that the western tribes were full of themselves you know, they're over there, they've got the tabernacle, uh, they're all good, and so, you know, when it's all said and done, you know, they're going to throw us under the, under the bus the first chance they get. And the western tribes are like, man, they didn't come all the way with us. Uh, whatever they do, they must be in sin. I mean, they were comparing themselves to each other, looking at their locations, and that drove their thoughts, that drove their actions. Man, we can't be like that. We've got to avoid unnecessary conflicts by understanding our decisions and their consequences before we make them. And we've got to judge with great care and caution and cast out fear and lovingly forgive and support one another. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, I, I thank you so much again for your word, and I pray that, that you would give us strength. Um, give us strength to be the people that, that we need to be, that we're supposed to be. Uh, Lord, as we walk with you, I pray that, that we could always be following somebody more mature, like that you set up for us with discipleship, and that we should also be bringing people along with us too. Lord, that, that we are always progressing and growing towards you together in unison. And help us uh, always to, to avoid any unnecessary conflict, uh, conflict that, that allows Satan to get an advantage in this place. Lord, we don't want that. Help us to be humble, um, to always be in your word, uh, to keep you in the place that you should be, uh, to measure ourselves uh, as, as by you. And, and when we do that, man, we all fall short together. And so help us to, to walk towards you together um, and to be fully surrendered to you and consecrated to you. Uh, we love you. Uh, we pray that this next song glorifies you. It's in your name we pray, amen.